So today's class will have to be short and sweet because we are strapped for time. Um, there's a program at the United Nations today. They have declared it the World Interfaith Harmony Week. So I'm part of the panel, so I have to be there. But we'll have a class for about 45 minutes. Mm. Today is also the birthday of uh, Swami Brahmananda, who was one of the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna and the first president of the order. Um, so, there. That's why we have the picture here. All right, let's see. The Shanti Mantra. Om Bhadram Karne Bhishrinuyama Deva Bhadram Pashye Maksha Bhirya Jatra Sthirai Rangai Tushtvagum Sastanu Bhihi Vyashema Devahitain Yadayuhu Swastina Indro Vridhashravaha Swastina Pusha Vishwaveda Swastina Starkshyo Arishtanemihi Swastino Brihaspatir Dadhatu Om Shanti 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 So what has been going on so far is that in the third chapter of the Mandukya Karika, Gaudapada is uh, trying to prove the non-duality of Brahman, that the ultimate reality, our own self is non-dual, that is there is no second reality apart from it, it is the only reality. Um, this is the central teaching of Vedanta and this uh, Gaudapada is trying to prove in the third chapter with the help of reasoning. And he has given examples, he has given some kind of arguments so far. And right now what he is trying to do is, he is bringing up supporting evidence from the Upanishads. Remember Vedanta is, is Upanishads basically. The foundational texts of Vedanta are the Upanishads. So Gaurapada is bringing up supporting evidence from the Upanishads. Uh, what he is doing is, from the Upanishads he is showing that the Upanishads all say that Brahman is Atman that our real nature is Brahman. The identity statements, the so-called Mahavakyas, the great statements from the Upanishads, um, that thou art, I am Brahman, uh, statements, these statements, they express the essential teaching of the Upanishads. What's the essential teaching of Vedanta? That you are Brahman. The identity of God and man, the oneness of Jiva and Brahman, um, this is the essential teaching of Advaita Vedanta. So this is what he is uh, demonstrating on the basis of the Upanishads. But if you look a little closely, you might ask, what is the connection of that, that the Jiva and Brahman are one reality, how is that connected to the actual subject of this chapter? The sub subject of this chapter is, Brahman is non-dual, that there is only one non-dual reality. What exactly is the connection, how does it work? It works like this. Brahman, the ultimate reality, in fact, God in all religions, the ultimate reality in all religions of the world. If you will notice one thing, 
it is it is not born it is not created not produced no religion in the world uh, whether it's all the varieties of vaishnavism shaktism shaivism uh, in hinduism or whether it is christianity or islam or judaism the great abrahamic theistic traditions or even the ultimate uh, nature of reality the tao or nirvana in in um, nobody will say that is produced nobody will say that ultimate reality is born nobody says god was created or produced or uh, born the du the dualistic religion say god is the unborn creator god is the first cause god produces the universe but nobody says that the ultimate reality is born so that's number one hold on to that add to that what the evidence that gaudapada is now producing showing in the different upanishads the teaching that jiva and brahman are one reality you and brahman we are our real reality our nature is brahman the sentient beings and brahman are one reality you and turiya are one reality jiva brahma aikyam the identity statements which are now being trotted out by gaudapada now put them together what's the first thing i said brahman god jehova allah whatever you call it the ultimate reality is not produced in any tradition whatsoever one second advaita says you and that reality are one so if that is not produced it's not born it is not created then you are not born or created or produced then put these two together what is the conclusion the conclusion is startling see all the dualistic religions say god is not produced but god produces the universe god is not created god creates the universe god is not born but we are all born of god but now if you put these two statements together then that neither is that ultimate reality born nor are we born hence we are not effects products creatures and god is not a not a cause not a producer not a creator if we are not born uh we are not created then god cannot be called a creator there is no second thing apart from that reality only when cause and effect is there there is a cause and it produces an effect then you can talk of two you can talk of not duality cause producing an effect but if brahman is neither an effect obviously god is not bo uh, born nor does it produce us because we are also not born because we are one with god so god is not born nor does um, uh, not does god give birth to anything in that case god is neither an effect nor a cause if god is or that ultimate reality is beyond cause and effect then it must be non dual there's no second thing apart from it it's it's very interesting that um, i was in columbia university last week attending a conference you'd be interested in knowing what conference they are having in columbia university way to the ways to the truth two days intensive from 8 o'clock in the 9 o'clock in the morning till 8 in the night do you get a 45 minute break for uh, lunch ways to the truth meditative traditions in western thought and islamic thought now a professor of islam in in columbia university suleiman bashir he was quoting from the uh, from the quran 
saying that there are lines in the Quran which say that, for example, uh, he said, mm, in the beginning, Allah, God, God alone was and nothing else was with God. God alone was and nothing else was with God. And the Sufis say, Sufis were very close to Vedanta. The Sufis say, even now it is the same. It sounds paradoxical. How can it be the same now? Because everybody says, look, here is this vast universe. Millions of beings, billions of beings, all, all change, cause and effect. Everything is going on. How can you say in the beginning only God was and nothing else was? Even now it is the same. That only God is and nothing else is. But the Sufis insist it's that. We can understand immediately. This is what they want to express. They are expressing it in the language of paradox and poetry. But we understand logically what they mean. God is, God is actually neither a cause nor an effect. Then all this is what? You can say all this is maya and appearance, not a real uh, product. Or you can say all this is God. All this is Brahman. Brahman alone is appearing in these ways. Another line he quoted was, it's, I think it's one of the first lines in the Quran. I don't know exactly. Allah is neither born and nothing is born of Allah. So that's the line. Now it makes perfect sense to us from, from a non-dualistic perspective. Not that that's what the, uh, the uh, I mean, uh, uh, interpretation that the, the mainline interpretation, traditional interpretation given by Muslims is not, not that. I read a book. Uh, in which uh, that line was quoted long time ago and the explanation was given well, the explanation will not make anyone any one of us uh, happy the line was and this is not connected with our of course teaching today but it's interesting to see how the same thing can be understood in different ways the this original sentence is Allah is not born and nothing is born of Allah and the explanation was it's an English book written by a well-known Islamic scholar uh, it says so here we have it. Nothing is born of Allah. So Allah doesn't have a son. And the Christians are wrong when they say Jesus is the son of Allah. Because Jesus cannot be born of Allah. It's clearly written. Nothing is born of Allah. Not only that. So the Christians are wrong when they say Jesus is the son of Allah. And uh, um, the Hindus are wrong again and again and again. Because they say many, many incarnations have come. So that it goes off on that track. But if you take a philosophical look at it. Um... Uh, if you look at it from the Vedantic perspective, it makes perfect sense. Uh, Mandukya Upanishad, Gaudapada will say, yes, yes, that's right, I understand perfectly well. I remember having a talk with, an, uh, with a rabbi once from Jerusalem, he was visiting Belurmat. And uh, I was giving him this, this idea, the truth is one, the sages call it variously. So it, an infinite being expressed in different ways gives rise to different religions. Then I said to him, well, I'm not trying to be patronizing. I mean, obviously, um, the Jews will have a different uh, take on, uh, on religious harmony. Um, but this is our way of reading it. This is our way of understanding it. Um, and I, some, some texts in, uh, in the Bible, I will be talking about that. Um, I am that I am. So that is a profound text from the Bible. And I said, of course, I'm giving you, I was sort of apologetic. I was, I was giving you the, I'm giving you the Vedantic understanding of that statement. It's uh, obviously, uh, the Judaic understanding will be different. But he said something very interesting. 
he said, no, you may be correct. When you have a very sophisticated understanding of this, from your Vedantic perspective, the way you understand our scripture may actually be deeper than the way we understand it. Though it's our tradition and thousands of years we have been, but uh, your understanding actually may be even more true to the original tradition than what we understand today. So there was a very <laughs> generous way of looking at it. Um, so once again, quickly running through the logic. I tend to get carried away. Quickly running through the logic. In no tradition will they say that God is created. God is un uncreated, is, is unborn. Second, point two. Vedanta says you and God are one reality. Third, con conclusion from these two. If God is not created and you are one with God, if Brahman is not created and Jiva is one with Brahman, then Jiva is also not created. So Jiva is not a product of Brahman. In that case, Jiva is not an effect, Brahman is not a cause. So Brahman is beyond cause and effect. Being beyond cause and effect, Brahman is non-dual, Advaitam. Which is what he wants to prove here in this chapter. So he is using arguments based on Upanishadic statements, the identity statements of the Upanishads, to show that Brahman is non-dual. Is the underlying thing, because this, without this you will know why is he once in a while keeping up, giving quotations left and right. I had a very quick question. Yes. Uh, Ramakrishna once said that there is a creative aspect of Brahman called Shakti. Yes. That doesn't seem to be compatible. With no, it is not because that is from a dualistic perspective. What uh, Advaita Vedanta will say is that that creative aspect is an appearance. Fundamentally nothing new is happening. It is Brahman alone. Certainly it is appearing. So that means the creation is an appearance. They'll make Shakti also an appearance of Brahman then. That's what Advaita does. Advaita plays on this fact that it will not deny that you are experiencing the world. It will not deny that you are experiencing a separate identity. Nobody can deny that. We are experiencing. If you deny it, that's illogical. But Ad what Advaita says is, the crucial point Advaita makes is, appearance and reality are not the same. That's an interesting thing. May I just uh -huh. quickly follow up? So what you're saying is that... Uh, Something can not exist, but still be real. No, something can cannot exist. Not be real, but can exist. No, something no, no. I'll, I'll repeat it again. Something can be not real and yet appear. How? Which means something else, which is real, is appearing in this form. So what we are experiencing, as such, is not the ultimate reality. That's all that Advaita wants to say. And that's, that's not a um, terribly wild thing to say. We all the time keep running up against things which appear to be one way. I mean, when you probe inside, they appear to be quite a different. Um, so appearance and reality, in fact, the very words, appearance and reality. Appearance is that which we experience. But its nature, when we investigate it, can be quite different from what it appears to be. If we experience it, is it not real for us in that sense? No, that's, that's the thing. You, that same thing might be said about dreams. Same thing might be said about the rope, which, uh, snake which appears in the rope. Same thing might be said about the blue color in the sky. It appears. But is it really blue? Dreams. So many things happened. Did it really happen? In comparison with a higher reality, like the waking, dream is dismissed as an appearance, not reality. 
in comparison with your physics knowledge, the apparent blue of the sky is dismissed. That the sky is not blue, though it appears. And notice that even after dismissing it, it will still appear like that. We know that it is not so, but it looks like that. That's the crucial point that uh, Advaita plays upon. So, Brahman is beyond cause and effect. Brahman is non-dual. That's what he's trying to point out. In the 11th verse, Gaurapada pointed out that uh, Taittiriya Upanishad points out that uh, you are the consciousness beyond the five sheets and that one consciousness is the fundamental reality which is appearing as the entire universe and so on and so forth. You are one with Brahman. Now he's going to another Upanishad, the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. Let's read. It's like a crash course, a lightning tour of Upanishads. Twelfth verse. Dvayor dvayor madhu jnane Dvayor dvayor madhu jnane Param brahma prakashitam Param brahma prakashitam Prithivyamudare chaiva Prithivyamudare chaiva Yathakasha prakashita Yathakasha prakashita So dvayor dvayor madhu jnani Param brahma prakashitam This requires little bit of explanation. This quotation is from the Fifth section of the second chapter of the uh, Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. It is called Madhu Brahmanam. Fifth section of the second chapter of Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. Now the Upanishad we are studying is a Mandukya Upanishad. It is the smallest, only 12 mantras. The Brihadaranyaka Upanishad is the biggest. It's a huge work. This is a collection of, uh, um, here we have got, I think, um, nine Upanishads here. Except the Chandogya and Brihadaranyak, all the other Upanishads and their, their commentaries by Shankaracharya, all are in this book. If I take the Brihadaranyak Upanishad alone, it will be this big. <laughs> so, nine Upanishads you put here and the Brihadaranyak is this big. And just slightly smaller might be the Chandogya, which is also a very big Upanishad. So, the Brihadaranyak Upanishad, and it's a favorite of Shankaracharya's, when he quotes in his commentaries on different Upanishads, supporting quotations often are from Brihadaranyaka. Um, it's a huge and difficult text too. Modern scholars who look at the language of the Upanishads, they notice that the language of the Brihadaranyaka, the way of expression is quite different from all of uh, the other Upanishads. Brihadaranyaka and Chandogya, the expression is quaint, is archaic. So modern scholars say that these Upanishads are the most ancient of all. They are huge and rambling and um, Swami Vivekananda says like the Gita is like a bouquet of flowers which have been picked and made into a choice bouquet. But the Upanishads like the Brihadaranyaka and Chandogya are like a forest where once in a while you will get beautiful flowers and fruits but there are thorns and there are creepers and there are dense dark patches. Uh, so. The Brihadaranyaka Upanishad is vast, divided into chapters, and chapters are divided into sections. Each of the sections is bigger than the entire Upanishad. So one of the sections is called Madhu Brahmanam. Madhu Brahmanam. Brahmanam here does not mean Brahmin or anything like that. Not even Brahman, the ultimate reality. Brahmanam here simply means section. Section. 
and madhu means honey honey <laughs> so brahman is called honey the honey of entire existence of the universe is brahman it's a very poetic way of referring to when you it makes sense in america when you call honey <laughs> husband wife children they call honey so when you when you like or, or love somebody you call them honey so in the same way brahman is called honey uh, madhu why because two reasons one is honey is the essence another reason is honey is sweetness it gives sweetness and happiness so brahman as satchidananda is uh, the essence of the entire universe and it is um, fulfillment it is infinite bliss so in that sense in the sense of bliss in the sense of essence it is the honey of everything now that's one thing the upanishad expresses the entire brahman as the honey of this entire universe the essence of the entire the reality of the entire universe how does it do so that's also a unique approach what it does is it takes the macrocosm and the microcosm what is macrocosm the entire universe what is microcosm us which us not the pure consciousness the way we experience ourselves as this person so this person this individual being is the microcosm and the huge universe which we we are find ourselves in is the macrocosm the objective universe is the macrocosm the subjective is the microcosm what the upanishad does is in this madhu brahmanam section dealing with honey honey means brahman as honey <laughs> the ultimate reality as honey so what it does is it takes something from the macrocosm and something from the microcosm and shows the same reality is in the macrocosm as well as the microcosm that which is brahman within you is brahman in the entire universe it appears as something there and it appears as something in you what do I, what do i mean i'll give you an example godapada takes one example it takes pairs one thing from us and one thing from the universe and shows behind both is the same brahman basically meaning that brahman is the essence of the entire universe so earth earth prithvi the earth which is in the universe and earth which is here in this body the essence of this and the essence the, the earth here and the earth in the universe both are actually nothing but brahman the same brahman what do you mean earth earth means this physical body is made of multiple elements including earth and what do you mean by earth there it means basically the entire matter all matter in the universe so the reality of all matter in the universe is brahman and the reality of matter in your body is brahman so the vast matter prithvi and udara literally in in, in my tummy <laughs> the the earth here in this body basically they are one reality brahman then it will go on and say the water in all the oceans of the world and the water in my body basically that water is none other than brahman this water is none other than brahman and that brahman you are then it will say the mass of radiance called the sun and the radiance in your eye which it uses the sun to see basically they are actually the same brahman the same existence consciousness bliss it says the fire in the universe and your speech he speaks fire <laughs> so your the organ of speech in the microcosm 
they are one reality brahman you can see it's a very new way or or should i say new very ancient way of uh, expressing this when we do not normally talk in this way so and that is the the honey the the essence of the universe the honey of the entire universe and the honey within your body are one and real, same thing that is brahman and it goes on like this it keeps on taking pairs one one from the external universe and one from within you what you consider yourself to be i consider this body and mind and speech and organs all of it this is who i am essence of this and essence of the universe is brahman that's the essence the honey of the teaching <laughs> um as we go into it you will notice it's not exactly what i said i'm giving you the gist the honey of it <laughs> the way it is presented is actually a little more complicated but it doesn't matter i'm giving you the essence what they want to say now i would like to read out one of these passages the first one which gorapada himself refers to the earth of the entire universe matter of the entire universe matter within us is one reality and that reality is brahman <coughs> but if you read the original and very archaic ancient sanskrit it is beautiful i mean it is almost unearthly i'll read out the original and translate for you so this is from this is the briyadarnika upanishad in its english translation it's slightly smaller because it doesn't have the sanskrit commentary of shankaracharya it has only got the english english original sanskrit original upanishad english translation english translation of the sanskrit commentary so let me let me fifth section of second chapter let me read out one passage and translate and you see what it actually it sounds like iyam prithivi sarvesham bhutanam madhu asyai prithivyai sarvani bhutani madhu yaschayam asyam prithivyam tejomayam amritamaya purushah yaschayam adhyatmam शारीरः तेजोमय अमृतमय पुरुषः अयमेव सोयम आत्मा इदम अमृतम इदम ब्रह्म इदम सर्वम व्हाट डज इट मीन दिस अर्थ इज द हनी ऑफ ऑल बीइंग्स ऑल बीइंग्स आर हनी टू दिस अर्थ सो यू सी लिटरली डज नॉट से ब्रह्मन इज द हनी टू ऑल एवरीथिंग बट इट जस्ट पुट्स इट दिस वे this universe is honey to all beings and all beings are honey to the universe or to the earth and that which which is within this individual being within this indi- within each of us that which is tejomaya amritamaya purusha the the bright conscious immortal being within us purusha being entity tejomaya filled with radiance which is consciousness amritamaya which is immortal immortal means pure being so the pure being consciousness within us yascha adhyatmam sharira so tejomaya amritam prithivyam so that which is the infinite conscious being within the earth and that which is the infinite conscious being within us is the same and what is that ayam eva so ayam atma it is the self it is you it is the real you 
What is the apparent you, body-mind complex, what I think myself to be individual being, microcosm. And that self, that Brahman, that self, idam amritam, it is immortal, it is immortal, immortal and immortality. By reali realizing this, the mortal being becomes immortal or realizes one's immortality. Idam Brahma, it is the, um, it is Brahman, the ultimate reality of the universe. Idam Sarvam, it is indeed everything. Everything that you see in this universe is that. I didn't do too good a job of translating. What it says is, this earth is like honey to all beings and all beings are like honey to this earth. The shining immortal being who is in this earth and the shining immortal being who is in this body are but this self. Self means you. This self, this self-knowledge, knowing the self in this way is the means to immortality. You become immortal by knowing yourself in this way. Um, this underlying unity is Brahman. This underlying unity of the universe is Brahman. This knowledge of Brahman is the means of becoming one with the universe. Idam sarvam, you become one with everything in the universe. Yes. And I hear this a lot. Is the, the experience of Brahman radiant? It's like a radiant force that... Not force. It is consciousness. It, it is... Radiant. <coughs> it, it is radiance. It, look at the word used. Very beautiful. It says, Tejo Maya Amrita Maya Purushaha. Tejo Maya, filled with radiance or blazing forth. Yeah. And Amrita Maya, immortal. Amrita Maya is filled with immortality or immortal itself. Yes. It's such an amazing thing to try to describe. Think about it this way. We are radiant beings. Look at it right now. Look at our experience right now. Our experience is of radiance. If you look at it that way, you're shining forth with consciousness all the time. You see, you hear, you smell, you taste, you think, you remember, you forget, you, uh, you enjoy, you suffer, you aspire, you are happy, you are sad, you live, you die. All of that is in awareness. That awareness is limited into a million tiny experiences. That's why we call it life. But if you remove the name and form from it, just look at the awareness itself, you would, be, you would experience what in a Gita is called as if a thousand suns rose in the sky at once. The sky is not just it's figurative. The sky is our own inner sky of our experience. Imagine a thousand suns rising there. What is that? It's you, the consciousness. We experience it in a fractured, sliced up manner. That's what we call our life. Oh, my life is ordinary and boring. No, it is not. It is more radiant than the most radiant, you know, like supernova or something. You're continuously blazing forth with consciousness. And in your consciousness, life is playing out. That is the radiance. I have a very quick question. Yes. Uh, Brahman is without qualities or attributes or, or yes. uh, similarities or whatever. But at the same time, we use attributes to describe Brahman. Immortality is an attribute. So uh, Chaitananda is an attribute. Right. So there's the question there. Is existence, consciousness, bliss an attribute of Brahman? No. There's a discussion about this in Advaita Vedanta. It's the very nature of Brahman. Like you're saying, um, blue sky. Blue is the attribute of the sky in that sentence. It's an adjective. 
But sky is not an attribute of sky. So when you say Brahman is Sat Chit Ananda, it's not that Brahman is something which is Sat Chit and Ananda. Rather Sat Chit Ananda itself is Brahman. Let's put it this way. Uh, Swami Vivekananda, his quote, he, he makes this point. It is not that Brahman exists. It is existence itself. It is not that Brahman is happy. It is happiness itself. It is not that Brahman knows something. It is knowledge itself. That is what is meant by being consciousness, being... It's not something, a being which has consciousness. Like we consider ourselves. Sometimes I'm conscious, sometimes I'm unconscious. Sometimes I'm less conscious, after a cup of coffee I'm more conscious. No. That, that's treating consciousness as an attribute. But Brahman is not like that. Brahman is consciousness itself. It's not an adjective. It's not a verb. So when you say it is the witness of all things. So it's, is it a verb? Is it witnessing? No. It's like light shining forth. And because of that light shining forth, witnessing happens. In that sense. And you are that. It says that I am Atma. That is the self. You are this self. Okay. Let's move ahead. I'm going to make a quick point here. Uh, Gaurapada does that in two verses. 13 and 14. Hmm? Okay. 13 and 14. See what happens right now here. So what we have done here is 12th verse. Dvayor dvayor madhugyana. Madhugyana means in the section dealing with Brahman as honey. It just says that. And we are supposed to understand it is the Brihadaranik Upanishad chapter 2, 5th section. And this is the, it's a long section. Which takes up pairs of things in the universe and in us and shows the underlying unity. So that's what he says, Dvayor Dvayor Madhu Jnani, in the pairs which are taken up in the chapter on Brahman as honey. Param Brahma Prakashitam, the ultimate reality, Brahman, has been Prakashitam, explained, taught, displayed. Prithivyam Udarejaiva, just as one example he takes, as in the earth, the Brahman, and in, in oneself, the Brahman. That is the first one, the first paragraph which we just chanted just now. Yatha Akasha Prakashita. Just like the example which I have been giving all along. His favorite example, sky. Uh, the great sky and the sky in the pot. Which example which he used. Now, before he goes ahead, he, he answers a possible inevitable objection. The objection is from a dualist. He says, wait, the dualist says, wait a minute. You are selectively quoting from the Upanishads. There are identity statements in the Upanishads which say you are Brahman. Certainly, Tattvamasi is there. Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman is there. And there are many such identity statements, including the more convoluted ones which you just quoted right now. So there are these identity statements. But there are also dualistic statements in the Upanishads. Number of them, any number of them. For example, um, Mundaka Upanishad says, the two birds, Dvasuparna, Sayuja, Sakhaya, Samane, Vrikshe, Parishasvajate. There's a higher bird and a lower bird. They sit on the same tree. The higher bird represents God and the lower bird represents the individual. But for our purpose, notice this. Two. Dvasuparna, two birds. So isn't it dualism, God and you are separate? Um, the Mundaka Upanishad itself talks about the creation of the universe. Note, you said that nothing is created from Brahman. But it talks about the creation of the universe. It says, just like a spider spins a web. 
Yathornanabhishrijate grinhatecha Just as a spider spins and withdraws a web, just as from the earth shrubs and plants emerge, just as from a living human body hair and nails emerge, uh, exactly in the same way from the imperishable uh, ultimate reality the universe emerges. So what about that? These are all, there are texts which are dualistic. There are texts which talk about the creation of the universe. So the answer given by um, um, Gaudapada is given in verses 12 and 13, 13 and 14. 13. prashasyate. Nanatvam nindyate yacha, nanatvam nindyate yacha, tadevam hi samanjasam, tadevam hi samanjasam. Gaurapada says, you are right, but also note one thing. The Upanishads continuously praise unity, eulogize unity, oneness, and they decry, condemn, um, Difference, separation, um, duality. So there are a number of statements in the Upanishads which say oneness is what is, uh, what is to be attained, realized, that which sets you free. So there are many statements praising unity. For example, the Isha Upanishad says, Tatra komo manupashyata. When one sees oneness, what sorrow remains, what delusion remains. This is a praise of oneness. You see oneness. And there are condemnations of uh, experience of duality. For example, Shankaracharya gives a number of statements. Dvitiyadvai bhayam bhavati Upanishad. From duality comes fear. Fear means samsara. From duality, from a sense of difference comes samsara. I like this, I dislike that. Then I want to get this and I want to avoid that. Samsara starts with you, for you. Then another example. Udaram antaram kurute athatasya bhayam bhavati taittiri Upanishad. The one who sees the slightest difference in this world, for that person, fear comes. Fear means samsara comes. Terror comes. Um, you might say, I'm not terrified. I'm, I'm okay. In general, we are okay. But uh, overall, you will see, Samsara, birth and death, sorrow, chas chasing this, going this round of birth and death again and again. If one could see, take an overall picture of what we are going through, we would be terrified. <laughs> so this is, terror comes to the one who sees difference in this world. I am different from that one. Immediately fear comes. Fear means love, hatred, all of that in the background of even love and hatred, love or desire also is fear. Then another statement. Mrityusam Rityumapnoti Yahiyananeva Pashyati from Kathopanishad. The one who sees duality here, the one who sees duality here, that one goes from death to death. Mrityusam Rityumapnoti. That one goes from death to death. Until we realize that we are all one reality and that is my own self, the Atma, Brahman. Until that time, Life and death. He could have said well, that one goes from life to life. 
He said, no, it goes from death to death. It means the same thing, but it's a more discouraging statement. So, the point here is, uh, unity is praised and difference is decried, condemned. Therefore, Upanishads are teaching oneness. Upanishads are not teaching duality. But still the issue remains, then why should dualistic statements, which are clearly there, why should they be there in the Upanishad at all? Why should they be there? So the answer is, in the next verse, he says, they are there, remember, these are all a process of enlightenment. They are like steps towards enlightenment. Dualistic statements are given because we need it. If you straight away say you are Brahman, makes no sense to me. But if you tell, tell me, oh, there is a Brahman, the ultimate reality, here, look at yourself, body, mind, eh? and then like that you go back to consciousness, you realize that consciousness alone is Brahman. Oh, I am Brahman. It makes sense to me. But you must make a start with dualistic statements. So those dualistic statements which are there in the Upanishads, they are there just to achieve the ultimate non-duality, keeping in view the future, the non-duality to be achieved. Dualistic statements are given, not as the teaching of the Upanishad. The point of the Upanishads are not those dualistic statements. They are taken as steps to non-duality. So, for example, Taittiriya Upanishad, if you go to the original text to find out who am I, I am the witness consciousness, instead of saying that, it first says, literally says, Annamaya Atma, body is the self. It does not say body is a sheath, kosha, body is the self. Then prana is the self, mind is the self. Then which is the self? All of them are called the self. The whole is like a process, like a ladder. You abandon the idea that the body is a self. Next, you abandon the idea that the prana is a self. You abandon the idea that the mind is the self. But to help you to do that, each one is said. So if you, somebody takes that, see, it says body is the self, done. Upanishad has taught body is the self, finished. No, read it through to the end. What does it mean? Read the whole text through. It says you are the witness consciousness. All of them are like sheets, five sheets. That is what Gaudapada says. He says those dualistic statements are like um, uh, steps pointing towards the ultimate non-duality. You just read that and conclude. Jeevatmano prithaktvam yat Jeevatmano prithaktyam yat Pragutpattir prakirtitam, Pragutpattir prakirtitam, Bhavishyad vritya gaunam tat, Bhavishyad vritya gaunam tat, Mukhyatvam hina yujyate, Mukhyatvam hina yujyate. This difference between the ultimate reality and the individual being, Jiva and Brahman, <coughs> Jivatma Paramatma difference, Prithaktvam means difference which has been mentioned again and again in the Upanishads. Before the ultimate teaching about non-duality, before the ultimate teaching of non-duality, Bhavishyadvritya, they are meant as, uh, there is a technical term which means, something is said right now but it is meant to show you something in the future, like a step to the ultimate non-dual teaching. Dualistic statements are made as steps to the ultimate non-dualistic teaching. Gaunam tan, uh, tat, they are secondary. Mukhyatvam na yujyate, uh, you should not take them as the primary meaning of the, uh, of the Upanishad. So he dismisses with a potentially powerful objection, which the dualists have. 
So why do all these other texts are there? Those texts are meant to like a ladder, like a process of teaching ultimately to non-dualism. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu